Okay, we have the privilege this uh, week of studying Parshas Pekudei together. And uh, when it comes to Parshas Pekudei, we find ourselves in the uh, same predicament as we did last week. It's a predicament that at least we can feel we are in good company. Because once again, when you flip through the uh, text of the Parsha, you see that Rashi and all the classic commentators in the Mikros Gedolos almost all equally took a vacation. And they didn't really so much take a vacation as they offered their insights on the uh, Mishka, on the Kalim, and primarily in our Parsha in Pekude, on the, on the uh, Big Day Kahuna, they already offered it a Parsha's Tetzave, Truma Tetzave. So Pekude leaves us in a little bit of this predicament because much of the text, much of the themes have already been analyzed, we've already discussed before. So uh, just a quick overview, and then I want to do uh, similar to what we did last week, which is to really study an uh, essay of the Salonim Rebbe of the Nesiva Shalom, and to approach the Parsha through his Dvar Torah rather than what we traditionally do every week, which is through the classic commentaries. But just to, to begin, to give a context to the Parsha. Eile Pekudei HaMishkan Mishkan HaEidus HaShibukar HaMoshe Avodas HaLavim Biat Isamar Ben Aaron HaKohen Page 530 in the Stone Arts Girl Chumash. Eile Pekudei These are the uh, accounting. These are the accountings of the Mishkan. Mishkan HaEidus. Which Mishkan you might ask? The Mishkan HaEidus, the Mishkan of Testimony. Asher Pukar Moshe. And who was the first Jewish accountant? Who did this accounting? Moshe. Avodah Salavim, Biyad Isamar ben Aaron HaKohen. The Leviim's work was under the authority of Aaron's son, Itamar. So why is Moshe accounting? Where is this coming from? Shumat Tzava, we didn't talk about the budget. We didn't talk about profits and loss. We didn't talk about cash flow. What are we talking about it here for? Why all of a sudden is it coming up? Coming to the end, so maybe there's a lesson. What motivated, what precipitated Moshe's accounting? Oh, so I find great solace in this. I find tremendous solace in this. Because the Medrash Tanchuma tells us, what happened is the people came to Moshe and they were suspicious. They came to Moshe with accusations. Moshe, we think there's money missing. We've all made tremendous donations. We ran to give the same way. In fact, the Kliyakir is a beautiful word. Kliyakir wonders, Eile, Eile, Pekude Hamishkan. What is the Eile going on? These. The Kliyakir, if you look, we're not going to go into it, the Kliyakir discusses, is this going on the building of the Mishkan discussed previously? Is this going on the accounting of the Mishkan? What is Eile going on? And he says, the Eile of Pekude is a Tikkun. The Eile of Pekude repairs for the Eile, Eile, Elohecha Yisrael. With Cheta uh, Egel. This is your God. Ela. So with one Ela they failed. With one Ela, these, this, they fell. Ela. Pekudei HaMishkan. They repaired that action. We spoke on this past Shabbos. The idea that Rashi quotes throughout. That the Mishkan is the Tikkun. The Mishkan is the Tshuva. For the Cheta Egel. Cheta Egel was the abandonment of God's will. Cheta Egel was disloyalty to God. The Mishkan was, God says, you're looking for an intermediary to connect to me. No problem. But you can't do it on your own. Besalevi points out. Why does it say Kashot Siva so much? Throughout our entire Parsha. Every five seconds. Kashot Siva Hashem is Moshe. Kashot Siva Hashem is Moshe. Kashot Siva Hashem. Okay, we get it. We get it. They built the Mishkan like God commanded Moshe. They built the utensils the way God commanded Moshe. They, um, they uh, put together the Big Day Kuna the way... We get it. Why does it keep saying Kashat Siva Hashem Moshe? Says the, the Rebbe uh, Yosef Dov Salavechik, the Britska, the Beis Alevi. You know why? Because the Chayta Egel was the failure to be obedient to God according to His will. Says the Beis Alevi, and maybe this is a little editorial comment on some of the contemporary conversations, but I'm not going to go into it at length. Says the Beis Alevi, even when we are sincerely and purely motivated to connect to the Almighty, there's a limit to the creativity and the innovation that we are invited to use. So what happened? Moshe didn't return from Arsinai. The people panicked. How did they connect to the Almighty? Through the intermediary Moshe. Because Baruch is very difficult to have a relationship with. Not because he's a difficult partner, but because he's invisible. You can't see him, you can't touch him, you can't feel him, you can't hear him, you can't smell him. He's invisible. Our classic senses don't allow us to know with certainty that God's there. It takes a certain leap. It takes an extra sense that's not part of the classic list of our senses. So how do you have a relationship with Hashem? So 
as physical material beings, we live in the physical material world, and that's how we connect with the world around us, through those senses, touch, smell, sound, and so on. So how do you connect? So the people connected through Moshe, not that they attributed, they didn't see Moshe as a deity, but Moshe was the medium through which they, he was the mouthpiece, he was the representative, he was the agent of the, of the Ribbon Shalom. When Moshe didn't return, they panicked. They panicked. They still believed in God. And they still wanted a relationship with God. But they panicked. He's invisible. How do we know he's there? How will we feel a connection? How do we make contact? And so the Kuzari, Rabbi Levi writes this extensively. They built the eagle. They said, okay, we'll come up with our own way. They built an eagle. Not because the eagle was an alternative to God. The eagle was the mechanism to connect with God. Comes along Kosh Baruch and he says, I appreciate the sentiment. I'm flattered. I'm touched that you still want to connect with me. But you can't make it up on your own. I created you. I created the world. And if you are to be, if you are to be serving me, then you have to be interested in the formula I provide to you. You can't make it up on your own. There are limits to our creativity and our innovation and our initiative. So that says the Beis HaLevi. So Kosh says, but I honor and recognize your need to have something physical. I honor and recognize your need to have something tangible. So says God, you know what? How about a Mishka? Build a Mishka. Channel that need, that desire, that effort into the building of the Mishkan. Dedicate the materials, design, build, and it'll be a rendezvous point. You feel you need to connect to me physically, you'll come into the Mishkan, you'll feel my presence, my Ashras Ashkina, and that will be, well, Kosh Baruch Hu. So according to the Kuzari, it wasn't a sin of Avodah Zarah Mamish, which also explains, by the way, Aaron's involvement. How could Aaron be involved in, in Avodah Zarah, in idolatry, Mamish? But if you understand, it wasn't idolatry, it was simply trying to put God in a box. They were trying to limit God, they were trying to make God tangible, then that too is a great sin. But you have to understand, this is a slave nation who've been freed and emancipated. God says, you've left the slavery of Egypt to become my slaves. Avadai, heim avadim. Right, why do we pierce the ear? Because the ear that heard you're not to be slaves chooses to be a slave. Harsinai, God says, I took you out of that slavery to become mice, to serve me. So it was very early in their, in their development for them to have created this precedent where Klai Yisrael decides, we'll do it our way. We want to connect to God. In the pursuit of spirituality, we have license to innovate. God had to quickly intercede and say, no, that's not the way we do it. If you want to connect with me, you know, again, just to give a parallel in our world, in our realm, so we can understand. It's like my wife says to me, you know, uh, my birthday's coming up, here's what would be really meaningful to me. Uh, I don't know. Um, necklace. A necklace. This necklace, uh, this necklace I like, I've had an eye on it for a while, it reminds me of my Bubby's necklace, I love this necklace. And then I go out and I say, I come back and I say, I saw a new vacuum cleaner for sale. I say, uh, you know what, I know you wanted the necklace. I thought I'd connect you more. Right? I thought we would connect uh, stronger and uh, I saw this uh, vacuum cleaner and I thought of you. I thought of you. I want you to know I didn't think of anybody else. It was you I thought of. I thought of how beautiful you are and how uh, incredible you keep our home and I thought of what you do for our children and how you balance everything in life and I'm so madly in love with you and I just couldn't help but think of you when I saw this vacuum cleaner. I forgot the necklace and here, happy birthday, I got you the vacuum cleaner. I don't know about you. I know what my wife would say to me and it's nothing I, it's nothing I could repeat. Nothing I could repeat with this recorder up. So in other words, in a real genuine relationship, you care about what the other party wants and not what you try to superimpose onto them, even when it's sincerely motivated. Even when you say, I'm sincere, I thought you'd love the vacuum cleaner. I did it because I love you. It's sincere, it's not for me, it's for you. Okay, that's, a, that's an extreme example. So instead of the necklace, you got her a ring. But she says, I have four million rings. I didn't want a ring, I wanted a necklace. But I thought of you, it's sincere, I love the ring, I thought you'd love the ring. In a relationship, it's not my superimposing my vision on you, it's meeting your needs if you've articulated them. Says the Beis HaLevi, that's why throughout Vayaka Pakude you see these words, Kasher Tziva Hashem, that's why you see as God commanded over and over and over again. Because if the Mishkan were to truly be the Tikkun, the repair for the Chayta Egel, then they were going to build it, Kasher Tziva Hashem. Every aspect of building was as God commanded, as God commanded. 
as God commanded. Not as we superimpose, not as we use our creativity and innovation and our will, but as Hashem commanded, as Hashem commanded. That's when it's a tikkun. That's when it, go return the vacuum cleaner and go buy the necklace. Oh, now you've done tshuva. Kasher as your wife commanded. Right? That's the tikkun. That's the, that's the tshuva. And that's why we see it over and over again. Right? We suggested that this may be a reason. This is what the Malbim we said last week. Why is it that when they donated and they had enough, Moshe put out this statement, everybody stopped giving. Right? I mentioned last week, this Kenneth Griffin grew up in Boca Raton. It's worth over $3 billion. Announced a $150 million gift to Harvard. The largest in Harvard's history. Harvard didn't say, we have a $32 billion endowment. We're good. Kenneth, give it to someone else. No one in the history of mankind has ever said, don't give. We're good. With the exception of last week's Parsha. Moshe says to the people, stop giving. And the Malbim suggests, you know why? Because if you give beyond what God asked, here you go again. You're trying to meet your needs, not God's. It makes you feel good to give an excess, to give a surplus, to keep giving. But that's not what God asked. If you start imposing what you want over what God asked, then are you worshipping God or are you worshipping yourself? And that's why Vayaka Pakuda over and over and over, Kashar Tziva, Kashar Tziva, Kashar Tziva. So that's what the Kliyakar says, Eile Pekudei Amishkan. The Eile atone for Eile Elohecha Yisrael. Chete Egel, they gave generously, enthusiastically, with alacrity to be able to give when they were following their own will. Now when they give to follow God's will, Eile Pekudei Amishkan, this is the accounting, look how many gave, everybody participated. That's the atonement that is the repair. But the Tanchuma says that's not what Eil Pekudei Amishkan is about. Eil Pekudei Amishkan, what precipitated Moshe's accounting is, he was, he was accused. The people said, we're missing a certain amount. Everybody donated. We know how many. We have the census. We know how much everyone donated. We've added up what everything costs based on you gave us, you know, you turned in the final, the final budget. Right? If you've ever had that final, if you've ever had to do any form of construction, and you sat down with the contractor to review the punch list and the final numbers, which you never imagined they would be. So, um, you know, you look at every line item. Oh, you, you ended up getting the fancy uh, covers for the outlets. You ended up, uh, the fall, you changed where you put the high at. So it ended up coming out to this. Okay, you add that all up and you say, but what I paid you already is more than... So the people come to Moshe, they say, we saw the punch list of the Mishkan. We've added up the budget, the materials. We're missing money. And at first, Moshe himself panicked. And the Medjah tells us he remembered the Vavim. The Vavim were the hooks that, that bound the curtains together. And there's a whole word, a whole drusha we've said another time that I first heard from uh, Rabbi J.J. Shachter. The Vavim are the hooks that connect. Moshe forgot the importance of the connecting the people. Leave that all aside. What I find solace, says the Rabbi, Moshe Rabbeinu. Think about the people. What had they just experienced? Right Before Moshe came on the scene, they had no future. They had no hope. They were suffering. They were persecuted. Their sons were, were drowned in the Nile, turned into bricks. They were beaten. They were slaves with no future, suffered for hundreds of years. Moshe comes on the scene, brings a message of salvation they originally reject. He's patient. He ushers them in. He nurtures and nourishes them. He takes them out of Egypt. Of course, God takes them out. But Moshe is their leader. Ten plagues. They find themselves standing in front of the Yamsuf. They panic. Moshe patiently leads them through the Yamsuf. They're thirsty, they're hungry. Moshe patiently makes sure they have what to drink and what to eat. Moshe has answered every need. Moshe has provided them life, freedom, a future, nationhood, the Torah. And what do they say? Ah, we need a special membership meeting because we think that you're uh, taking extra money from the... We don't trust you. We don't trust you. So it makes every rabbi out there feel a little bit better. A little bit better. If the Helag, if the great Moshe Rabbeinu could be suspect, okay, then nobody's got a uh, unanimous vote. Nobody, no leader has a unanimous vote. And you're going to see it again. Soon it's going to be Purim. The end of the Megillah. The people of Shushan are going to be annihilated, exterminated. Genocide. Haman declares he's going to, he's going to wipe them out. Right? We said certain high schools existed in uh, Shushan. They would have invited Haman to speak to hear his side of the issue. Haman says he's going to wipe them out. Not the high school, the students. I, should, I correct myself. High school was wonderful. Some of the students. So Haman says he's going to exterminate them. Mordechai orchestrates behind the scenes. Mordechai orchestrates their salvation. 
Mordechai who made sure Esther was in there and that she had the courage to stand up and that she showed the bravery and the people fasted for three days. Mordechai orchestrates their salvation, saves them from extermination. And what is the last pasuk of the Megillah? Mordechai was beloved too. Most of the people of Shushan. If they had to take a vote for Mordechai's contract, eh, most of Shushan would have approved. So you feel a little better when you read Pukudei, Mordechai Ratzoy Lerov Echav, and you realize that nobody, uh, nobody's beloved to everybody. Okay, that's the beginning of our Parsha. Parsha then goes through again that uh, Moshe recruits uh, Betzalel. In our Parsha, Rashi quotes that we have this debate, this discrepancy. That uh, look at Rashi, Pasuk Chav Beis, Ubetzala ben Uri also is called Asher Atziva Hashem as Moshe. Betzala did everything that God had commanded Moshe. This, there is a lot to talk about, which we're not talking about. Some of the commentators wonder why does it say Betzala did everything God commanded Moshe? Say Betzala did everything God commanded, because we don't find that Moshe speaks to Betzala directly. We don't find Moshe. I think the Kliyaka, the Orchayim, they discuss this. But anyway, Rashi tells us, Asher Tziva also Moshe ain't Sivkan, Ela kol Asher Tziva Hashem es Moshe. It doesn't say what Moshe commanded B'Tzalel. It says B'Tzalel completed what God commanded Moshe. Afilu dvarm shalom omer lo rabo, hiskima daito l'mashanemar l'moshe b'sinai. Even things Moshe didn't tell B'Tzalel, B'Tzalel anticipated, B'Tzalel did nonetheless. Ki Moshe tziva lila B'Tzalel asos tchilo keilam achrikach mishkan, Moshe told B'Tzalel, what do you build first? The utensils, the furniture, and then you build the house, the Mishkan. Amala B'Tzalel, B'Tzalel turns to him, takes some courage, and he says, What are you talking about? Everybody knows, first you build the house, and then you shop for the furniture. Who buys furniture before the house is built? What, are you going to leave it sitting outside, exposed to the elements? What is Moshe telling B'Tzalel? First you buy the, build the furniture, then you build the house. The way of the world is you first buy the house, build the house, then you build the furniture. Some of them first ask, what was B'Tzalah saying, Minhaga Olam? Minhaga Olam? Who cares the Minhaga Olam? This is the word of God. Right? First of all, B'Tzalah, they've been living in Egypt, they're now living in the desert. He's not exactly reading Interior Design Magazine. How does he know what the Minhaga Olam is? Fine. But who cares about the Minhaga Olam? What's the will of God? Moshe was transmitting what God wanted. B'tzalel says, that's not the minak shalolam. That's not the minak shalolam. What trumps what? What supersedes what? What God wants? What God wants? Or what Architectural Digest says? What trumps what? But in any case, B'tzalel says, so Moshe challenges him, what are you doing? That's all I told you. Betzal says, you didn't tell me that, but I knew that was really the will of God. The first you build the house, then the kalim. Moshe says, that's pretty impressive. You're right. You're right. And that's in fact what happened. We're not going to spend time on it, but you can imagine it's worthy of discussion. What was Moshe thinking? Why did Betzal act that way anyway? Why did they come to agreement at the end? Excuse me, what exactly was going on? The commentators all discuss here. We go through the big day kahuna, we've already established the eight garments of the Kohen Gadol, the four garments of the regular Kohen, the, uh, the big discussion. They then set up the tabernacle, the Mishkan is, uh, is, uh, is uh, installed, is erected, is built, and uh, they put the Kalim all in place in their designated areas within the Mishkan. And finally, at the very end, we close the book of Shemos, Vayichase Anan Esa'o Mo'ed, page 540, the cloud covered the tent, and now God's presence entered. Moshe couldn't enter because of the cloud. But when the cloud lifted, that's when the people knew it was time to travel. When the cloud settled, they knew it was time to settle. And finally, the Pasuk of Shemos, the cloud protected them during the day. The fire in the evening. Before the eyes of all of Israel as they, as they traveled. The role of the cloud, what's the meaning of the cloud, of Moshe being able to enter, not being able to enter, all worthy of discussion. But I want to study again with you this uh, section in the Siva Shalom. <coughs> Salam Rebbe takes Parshas Pekudei, a little bit of a Hasidish perspective, different than the normal 
you know, Ramban and uh, Sforno and Ibn Ezra and Rashi that we look at. But I think uh, very important nonetheless. Very, very inspiring. Very inspiring. Isa B'Medrash. Everyone has a copy? Salam Rabbi we talked about last week. Rav Shalom Noach Brzovsky, who Salam uh, Rav today in Yerushalayim and uh, has written extensively. Nesiva Shalom. Isa B'Medrash Tanchuma. Amar Rabbi Bar Yosef. Koshivas Yimei Amilu Amayamosheh Mefarko Uma'amido Lemishkan Shtei Pa'amim B'choyom. Says the Midrash, Medrash, the seven days of the inauguration of the tabernacle, Moshe himself disassembled and assembled the Mishkan twice a day. Twice a day. He took apart and put together the Mishkan every morning and every evening for seven days as the inauguration of the Mishkan. Rubichanina Omer, Shalosh Pa'am B'choyom. No, not twice a day. He went so far as to do it three times a day. V'yesh levoyer adas ha'avoda inyan akamas ha'mishkan and says the Salam Rebbe, one can't help but wonder, why is the text elaborate so extensively? Half of the book of Shmos is about the building of the Mishkan. And it's such redundancy. What's going on? And why is Moshe building taking apart, building taking apart? We all know, we all know this word, that when God first tells Moshe, it's time to build me a tabernacle, a mishkan, he tells him, Vasuli Mikdash, make for me a sanctuary, Vishachanti Bisocham. And every little child knows the word. Why does it say, Vishachanti Bisocham? Vasuli Mikdash is singular, build me a sanctuary. And I will dwell in them. B'socham is, is plural. So which is it? Singular or plural? And of course the meaning says the Slana Marabi is that God says, build me a sanctuary and I will dwell in them. Who is the them? We are. Every one of us. There is the physical embodiment of God. There is the physical place that He dwells. And then there is within the spirit of each and every one of us. She Yehudi Yachshir is Gufo. A Jewish job is to yachshir means to kasher, like you kasher a pot, is to kasher ourselves, liyos makom la to kasher ourselves, to purify ourselves, cleanse ourselves, in order to be eligible, in order to receive hashras hashchina, to be a conduit for God's presence in this world. Kedisa b'sefer Hakadosh al pasuk. If I have to reduce all of Judaism, if I have to reduce what our entire system, what our entire Torah, what our entire lifestyle is designed to do, to one thing, it is to help transform each of us into a mikdash ma'at. For all of us, what do they say, my body is my sanctuary, is a temple, my body is a temple, treat it like a temple. It means to be, to see ourselves as temples in miniature. To be conduits, to be mechanisms, mediums, vehicles, to be able to bring godliness to the world. And to be ra'oi, to be worthy, to be purified, in order to be able to do that. And when we do that, when we merit doing that, our enemies are dispersed before us. When we merit doing that, we experience redemption. And when we don't merit, when we don't do that, when we become saturated with physical, the physical world and physical desire, and then be pursuit of the material, and material pleasure, and we abandon the aspiration of transforming ourselves into vehicles of spirituality, that's when we suffer. That's when we suffer. And I want to interrupt the Salam Rebbe to interject where you see this with an incredible Ramban. Not here at the end of Pekudei, but the Ramban at the beginning in the introduction to Sefer Shmos. The Ramban says in his introduction to Sefer Shmos something incredible. The Ramban has an introduction to each of the Chumashim, to each of uh, the books of Chumash. And he tries to summarize what's the theme of that book. So the Ramban says, what's the theme of Sefer Shmos? What's the theme of Sefer Shmos? Shmos is a roller coaster. It's a roller coaster ride of up and downs. 
We start in Shibud. Shmos begins with suffering, servitude, slavery. And then we have Yitzhiz Mitzrayim, emancipation. Then we find ourselves in front of the sea, once again on low. Kriyas Yamsuf, the sea splits, and we're able to survive on a high. Then there's no food or water, and we complain. Then there's Meimariva, the man, the slav, we're on a high. That's love. The memory even the month. Then we find ourselves the Egel Azov. We fall once again. And then we end on the high of the Mishkan. It's a roller coaster of ups and downs and ups and downs. Failure and success, failure and success. Highs and lows. But what's the theme? What binds this book from beginning to end? Says the Ramban, you know what the theme of Sefer Shmos is? Two words. Galos to Geula. Look at the Ramban in his Akdam and his introduction to Sefer Shmos. The theme of Sefer Shmos is Galos to Geula Galos to Geula so there's two questions two questions on this Ramban if Shechter was fond of quoting this in Shir two questions on this Ramban number one when do we experience the Geula in Sefer Shmos? Parsha's boat halfway through the book we're out of Egypt what's Geula? if you understand Geula means redemption freedom emancipation liberation when do we experience those things? Parsha's boat Halfway through the book, we're out of Egypt. Free. Free at last. Free at last. So why is the whole book called Slavery to Freedom? But more importantly, how do we normally define redemption? We usually think of Geula. Zol Shenzayin the Geula. When we think of the Geula, and we daven for the Geula, what are we davening for? Mashiach, to be in Israel, to Mikdash. Does the book of Shemos end? Where are the Jewish people geographically at the end of the book of Shemos? They're in the desert. Are they in Israel? No. They're in the desert. How could you call that Geula? From Gullus to the beginning of Geula, maybe. From exile, from suffering, from servitude, to the beginning of redemption. But how could the Ramban describe that, that Sefer Shmos is the journey from Gullus to Geula? Geula's not, they're not in Israel yet. They're not in Eretz Yisrael. But they're free. So what do you see from here about Geula? Geula is not a geographic description. Gullus is not geographic, and Geula is not geographic. How do you know that? Pasuk says in Barishas, The earth, the world, creation was chaos and darkness. It says the Medrash, each of these terms corresponds with one of the four Gullios, with one of the four exiles that we were destined to experience. Sohu, Vavo, Choshech, Pneisohom. Says the Medrash Rabbah, Bereshis. Choshech, anyone remember which Golosh is Choshech? Choshech, Zu, Golos, Yavan. You're already thinking about Purim. But remember Hanukkah? Choshech, darkness, is Golos, Yavan. Shehichshu, Eneim, Shal Yisrael. Golos, Yavan. When we were in exile under Yavan, under the Syrian Greeks. Where did that story of Hanukkah take place? Where was the exile of Gullus Yavan? Where were we geographically? We were in Israel. We were in Israel. And what does the Medrash use? What word does it employ to describe what Hanukkah, what we experienced? Gullus. What do you see? You can have Gullus inside of Israel and you can have Geula outside of Israel. Now the ultimate Geula is Geula in Israel. Mashiach, Beis HaMikdash, Ashras Ashchina, Kla Yisrael, Kibbutz Galios, in Israel. But you see, Jews are living in Israel, but when they don't have sovereignty of the Temple, it's called Galos. Do we have? Are we in Galos or Geula today? We're in what we like to call Aschalta de Geula. Right? A term that's used in the Gemara Megillah. Aschalta de Geula, the beginning the beginning stages of redemption. We're in the beginning. We'd like to believe. It's not Geula. What do you mean it's not Geula? We have Israel. In theory, we have the, even have the Temple Mount theory. How can you say we're not in Geula? Because there's no Beis HaMikdash. Because you still have Iran trying to destroy, wills to destroy us, Hamas and Hezbollah and so on. So you can have Geula outside of Israel. You can have Golas inside of Israel. So what for the Ramban then is Geula? If the book of Shmos is the journey from Gullus to Geula, what's Geula? If Geula doesn't mean being in Israel, what's Geula? Says the Ramban, it's the end of the, the last Pasuk, or the last section. Uchvod Hashem Malay es HaMishkan. You know what the Geula is? Hashras Hashchina. 
Hashras Hashchina. Connecting with God, spirituality, God dwelling in our midst, feeling God's presence. That's redemption. That's redemption. Exile is distanced from God. Redemption is feeling in God's presence. So the Ramban says the journey of Shmos is the journey from Golis to Geula, from exile to redemption. Ah, where's the redemption? We're not in Israel. Redemption's not geographic. The redemption of Geula is, of uh, Shmos is, we begin in Golis far, distant, having given up on God, that we were... Um, was the Pasuk? We didn't accept the message of hope because we were we were distant, we were far away. Shmos ends with Gula feeling the presence of Hashem. So says the Slan Marebi, Shmos is a microcosm for how we are to lead our lives. It's an example, a symbol. And he's going to develop right now that the entire layout and architecture of the Mishkan, if we, our lives, our bodies, our spirits, are supposed to be temples in miniature, places for Ashra Sashkina, conduits for God to dwell, then the design of the Mishkan is very instructive for our lives. So he continues. Just as the Mishkan is a hint to the upper worlds, Similarly, the Mishkan, the design, the blueprint of the Mishkan, is a blueprint for our lives, individually. The Vasuli Mikdash Vashachanti Besocham, the little Mikdash Mati each and every one of us are. The Mishkan was divided into different spaces. There was the Holy of Holies, What was in the Holy of Holies? The Ark, that on top had the Kruvim, that were the figurines of the children, the angels, angelic. And inside the Heichal, inside the sanctuary, not the Holy of Holies, but the Holy, the sanctuary itself, was the menorah, the candelabra, the shulchan that held the showbread, the mizbreach, the small altar that only was used to burn the incense. Hazara, the outer courtyard, in the outer courtyard was the large altar where the sacrifices were offered. So there's three spaces, there's three Kedushas, which were paralleled later. We have Kedushas Yushalayim, Kedushas Arabayas, Kedushas Azara, even the Azara is further divided, the Ezra's Nashim, Ezra's Yisrael, Ezra's Levim, Ezra's Kuhuna, there's different Kedushas of, of, uh, of this space. But the three primary areas are the Kodesh HaKadosh and the Holy of Holies, that is the Aron, the Kodesh, the Heichal, the uh, sanctuary that had the, the um, menorah, the shulchan, the, mizbeh, the small mizbeach, and then the azara, the outer courtyard, that had the large mizbeach for the sacrifices. And the parallel in our lives is that we are constructed of three parts. Hamoach, the brain, the intellect, halev, the heart, the emotion, vaivarim, and the limbs, the world of action. The brain, the moach, the lave, the place of emotion, and the evarim, the limbs, which represent the world of action. Just like for the mishkan to function, it had to be complete. For the mishkan to be holy, it had to be complete. Similarly, the Jew, to truly attain their full potential, to feel the presence of the Almighty, has to be whole in all three areas. The intellect, the emotion, and action. The world of thought, the world of feeling, and the world of action. What did the Mishkan have surrounding it? It had curtains and it had planks. It had a barrier around it. What's the symbolism of the climb, the curtains, the planks, the... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That surrounded the Mishkan. It's symbolic of the need for boundaries in our lives. Just as that boundary protected the Mishkan, for it to be holy, it couldn't be exposed. Holiness needs to be protected. Holiness needs to be guarded. You know the word sneas? We throw around so often sneas, modesty. 
Sneas doesn't literally mean modesty. Right? Sneas, of course, means so much more than the clothing. Sneas means so much more than you know, sleeve lengths and skirt lengths and so on. Sneas is a mindset, it's a way of being, it's humility, and so on. But the word Sneas, if you look at the Mishnah and Shabbos, it says Matsnian. Matsnian. The Mishnahis talk about a box that's designed to protect something, which is secondary to that which it protects. Matsnian. Matsnian means to protect, to safeguard. When you have something which is valuable, this is the message to our children, to many of ourselves, if you value your body, your appearance, your dignity, yourself, then you don't share it unencumbered. You don't share it, it's not exposed and revealed to the world. Something that's revealed is cheap. Your most expensive jewelry you don't wear around your neck every day. Your most expensive jewelry... You can tell my wife's birthday is coming up, huh? You can tell the most expensive jewelry is sitting in your safety deposit box. The most expensive jewelry is sitting in the safe. And it comes out once or twice a year. You don't wear it. What do you wear on your neck? The costume jewelry, the inexpensive jewelry, the everyday jewelry. The most expensive, the most precious, when something is precious, it's safeguarded. It's protected. It's kept. That's the message. The Jewish value of modesty is that something is precious it's not shared or overexposed. It's protected. So it says the Son of Marebbe, the message of the Kloim, of the Amudim, of the boundary around the Mishkan was, for it to be holy, it had to be protected. It wasn't overexposed. It wasn't shared universally. So the Pasuk says, when the uh, donkey is walking with Bilam on top, and it says there was a fence on this side and a fence on that side, and Bilam got squished. Bilam got pressed. So we homiletically interpret the verse, says the Slonim Rebbe, remember we're learning Hasidus here, that a Jew has to have a geder mizeh, a geder mizeh. You have to have a fence on this side and a fence on that side. What are the two fences? On the one hand, you have a fence of asetov, the fence that encourages you to do good. That don't be distracted by extraneous thoughts. Don't be distracted by desires. Stay focused. Continue to pursue good. Do chesed. Learn. Daven with kavana. Do good things. The geder mizeh and the fence on the other side is in the world of gashmis, the physical material world. That we should not fall prey to the pursuit of the material in a way that will lead you builti lashem levado. What happens if you build a fence on this side and a fence on that side? You crush the regel of Bilam. The word regel says the Rebbe is hergel. What's hergel? Habit. Rote. How do you destroy habits, bad habits? By building fences. If you put in place fences, reinforcements, reminders, then you break, you crush the regel, the, ha- the hergel, the bad habits of a Bilam. Another interpretation of why there was a boundary, a barrier, why there were curtains and planks that surrounded the Mishkan. It's the idea of the surrounding light, which is symbolic of Amuna of faith. For a Jew, faith is everything. Without faith, we're lost. Without faith, we're weak and vulnerable. Without faith, we are wavering and insecure. Faith is the source of all of our strength. Faith is the source of our existence. Faith and trust in the Almighty. He says, as it says, Our Torah is teaching us through the intricate details of the Mishkan, the work that is incumbent on every one of us to do ourselves, to arrive at the goal of not only building a sanctuary to God in Yerushalayim, but to turn ourselves into that sanctuary for God, Shiruyim Lashros 
ולא יהיה חס ושלום ושוב מאחריך. ומסביב יהיה לו גדר מזה וגדר מזה. We have to control our Kodesh HaKadoshim, our Kodesh, our Hechal and our Azara, our world of thought, our world of feeling and our world of action. We have to put boundaries around ourselves like there was a boundary around the Mishkan in order to secure that which is precious, ourselves. These are the necessary steps in order to indeed transform ourselves to be vehicles to welcome Ashros HaShchina. In other words, if your intellect is corrupt, if your thought pattern is backwards, if you come to the wrong conclusions, if you are driven by emotion, purely the wrong emotions, if you're feeding the wrong emotions, if you know the right things to do and your passion's in the right place, but in the world of action you just don't get it done. In the world of action it's not happening. So if that's the case, it's going to be hard for God to dwell. It's going to be hard to feel spirituality. We become, we become satellite dishes for, for, for spirituality the more we perfect ourselves in the model in parallel to the Mishka. So now he gets back to his question. He began the Salam Rebbe by saying, what's Moshe doing? Building, taking apart, building, taking apart. It's not the Rebbe who said this, the Medrash. The Medrash Tanchuma said, the name of Bichir Bar Yosef, that Moshe every day, twice a day, for the seven days of the inauguration, took it apart, put it together, took it apart, put it together. Rabbi Hanina said, not even two times, three times. What's with all the taking apart and putting back together? Listen to the Salam Rebbe's insight. V'gam b'inyan shivas yimei amiluam. Shekadmu la'akamas ha'mishkan. Shebehem ayu mefarkim makim mes ha'mishkan b'choyom. M'lamedes ha'torah k'doshes derech v'yehudi. Even here, with Moshe Rabbeinu going through this dry run so many times of the Mishkan, it was to teach us a powerful lesson. Even when we work hard, we work hard, we toil to build our Mishkan. We learn to control our thoughts. We learn to channel our feelings. We learn to live life with alacrity and enthusiasm in the world of action. But what happens in our lives? Nikshal. There are times that we fall. There are times that we stumble. And what happens when we stumble and fall? What happens to the building? It falls apart. It breaks apart. It breaks apart. Don't give up hope, says the Rebbe. But like Moshe, disassembled and assembled, disassembled and assembled and showed us that even though the building can come apart and does come apart, but we have the capacity to rebuild it, in our lives, our focus, our drive, our success, our being in such a good place in our Yiddishkeit, our feeling passion within our mitzvos, it's going to fall, we're going to stumble, we're going to hit a roadblock, we're going to hit a wall. And when it does, we're going to fall apart, we're going to become disassembled. And just like Moshe built and rebuilt, built and rebuilt, our lives will be journeys of building and falling apart, of building and falling apart. A Jew is not allowed to become despondent. A Jew can never give up hope. A Jew can never give in. Even after you've put in the effort, you toiled, you built, and then you saw it fall apart, get back up on that horse. You can build again. This is the idea of the seven days of the inauguration. It came apart and it built back together. What's the idea that Moshe did it twice a day? This is a hint to the two times of the day. What are the two periods of the day? Light and dark. Day and night. During the light, there's clarity. During the light, there's hope. What happens at night? Darkness, sadness, despondency. Moshe Rabbeinu, twice a day, it shows that in the moments of clarity and in the moments of darkness, you have to have the ability to rebuild. We have to have the ability not to give up. So, no matter how many times you failed. I wrote earlier this year about the experience of going to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting where, where a friend of mine, one of our uh, community members, was celebrating a milestone of being clean and invited me to come. And how transformative that was. It was unbelievable. For so many reasons. I wrote about it. You can look it up on the blog. But one of the incredible things is everyone in that room, I don't know if there was anyone in that room who has not fallen. And you know what happens? You know, in that world, you, you talk about 
how many days you're clean and you celebrate the milestones and you get a token There's, you receive a symbol how many days, how many weeks, how many months, how many years and it builds and it builds can you imagine you're building, building, building you're three years into it you had a drink you didn't even get you had a drink start again start again it's so easy to give up it's so easy to say forget about it I can't do it I keep stumbling there's no point but the moment you drop the program the moment your life spirals downward so it's easy for us to give up so I had two weeks of davening that was fantastic where I had kavana where I felt I got something out of it as a rendezvous with the almighty it was incredible and then I had a week where I stumbled do I get back up I had two weeks where I was my Ben Adam I controlled my anger Ben Adam Lachavera I had two weeks where I was learning regular. Whatever the case may be, we all hit that wall. We all stumble. And the true test of our grit, of our passion, of our greatness, is can we continue? And that's the symbolism. In the daytime, when it's clarity, when it's easy, and at night, when there's darkness, when we feel despondent, hopeless. Rabbi Hanina, who learns from the verses that Moshe built and disassembled three times a day, so what's seven days times three times a day adds up to? 21 times. 21 times. Leave her out the bracket where he talks about what about on Shabbos. Four lines in the bottom. The number 21 is the same number in Gematria as the name of God, which is the name, which is the symbol of the ability to do tshuva. As the uh, Rebbe said, Why is the name of God, I will be, why is that name of God the name of Tshuva? Because the name of means the future tense. What was, was, but now I have the ability to be. It means that the prerequisite for the ability to do tshuva is the ability to have a rearview mirror. You have to be able to put the mistake behind you. If you can't let it go, you can't forgive yourself. If you can't drop it and believe that you deserve and are capable of a fresh start, of a new beginning, of, of recreating, then you'll never then you'll be despondent and hopeless. The name Ehya is God's name for tshuva because it means Mashahaya Haya and now Ehya Briachadasha. What was was and I'm now going to be I'm now going to be a new, a new person. You know, anyone here play golf? One golfer and the three golf. We're in Florida. What's the matter with you people? Have you been outside? Have you seen this weather? I don't play golf. I used to play golf. I don't have time anymore. When I started, when I was in earlier, I played golf occasionally. So a person showed me. You know what the greatness of golf is? That you can draw a line on the card. What does it mean to draw a line on the card? You had a bad hole. You draw a line right on the scorecard after that. And each hole, 18 games. It's not one game of 18 holes. 18 separate games. You had a bad hole, you draw a line. Then you had three pars. Then you had a triple bogey. You draw another line. You get to start again. You draw that line. You keep getting to start again. The line allows, You draw a line on the scorecard. It allows you to say, you know what? What happened happened in the first nine. On the back nine, I'm going to score the best of my life. What was, was... The prerequisite to being able to grow is Mashahayahaya, what was, was, but I have the ability to start again. So you say, how many times can you draw a line in the card? How many lines can you draw? You could draw 18 lines, 17 lines. So you built, and then you stumbled, and you fell, and you fell apart. As long as you remain driven, you can keep going. Right? How many times can you... You cheat on the diet. Cheat on the diet. Cheat on the diet. How many times can you restart? As many times as you're committed to leading a healthy life. The truth is, even if you stumbled and fell and broke apart many times, but you accept upon yourself to keep building, the MS, the truth is, God's waiting each and every time. 
This is the message of Moshe building and taking apart for seven days. He set the precedent. He made it okay for us. He doesn't mention it here, Rabbi Salavechik has a word. Medrash Rabbah says in the beginning of Bereshis that before God built this world, He built and took apart many, many worlds. That's what the Medrash. Before God built our world, He built and took apart many worlds. What's the Pshat in the Medrash? God built and took apart many worlds. So the Rav explained. God wanted to make it okay for us to have things fall apart and start again. Relationships, our health, our career, different aspects of our lives. It's okay to build and see it fall apart and you build again. God couldn't get it right the first time? Of course He could. But if it was okay for God to build and have it fall apart and build again, then it's okay for us. So Moshe in the Shivas Yimei HaMiluim is essentially imitating what God did with the creation of the world in making it okay for us to stumble and fall apart and continue to build again. Twenty-one times, he remained steadfast. He remained committed, resolved. Last point. What else is the idea of putting it together, taking it apart every day? When a Jew is building his little temple, temple in miniature, his life, a place for God to dwell in his life, you know, if you have a building, you have a bridge, you have an elevator, the law is it needs to be inspected every year. Why is it inspected every year? To make sure it's not compromised. Because the consequences of its compromised are devastating. An elevator, a bridge collapse, a building collapse, God forbid. Recently there was uh, something in Israel. So it gets inspected regularly. We have to check the building, the spiritual, our spiritual construction of our Mikdash Ma'at to make sure that the cracks and crevices, to make sure that the structure is sound and strong. So every time we inspect and we have to take apart, we rebuild. That's the puzzle. Take joy in the complete and the whole building, not only the building, the physical building, but it means the mikdash ma'at that is each and every other, each and every one of our lives. should help us that we can build our Kodesh HaKadoshim, our Azara, our Heichal, our Azara, our intellect, our emotions, our actions, that we build the proper fences around our lives to protect and secure that which is most precious, that we ourselves merit to be vehicles for Hashra's Hashkina. Have a great week. Oh.